Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. Here is Find Your Film, episode 147. This episode, I have an interview with the locksmith director, Nicholas Harvard. And it's a very interesting interview because he talks about his love for such filmmakers as Jean-Pierre Melville and possibly currently, as we speak, my favorite filmmaker. I, I used to say my favorite director was Brian De Palma. Still is kind of in many different ways, but lately within the last year and a half, Samuel Fuller has really gone up the list, maybe tying with Brian De Palma within the last couple of years. I love Samuel Fuller so much. So the fact that the locksmith filmmaker Nicholas Harvard mentioned how much he loves Fuller's Shock Corridor, it gave me the proper excuse to actually open up my Criterion Collection Blu-ray of Shock Corridor, which I actually purchased a couple months ago during a recent sale. So I was able to watch Shock Corridor on Blu-ray and that was a wonderful you know what? That's a lie. I didn't actually watch it on, on Blu-ray. I just opened it a couple of days ago. I saw one of the special features on Blu-ray. I was a lazy you-know-what. And I saw Shock Corridor because it's currently streaming on the Criterion Collection. So I saw it... Uh, I, no, wait. I saw it streaming on the Criterion channel. And then I watched one of the special features on the Blu-ray. But that said, it, the Blu-ray looks really cool. And I'm going to tell you a, a couple of reasons why it's worth getting Shock Corridor on Blu-ray, okay? And without having watched the actual film, but I, I will get to that in this segment, not this segment, within this episode, okay? But first up, you're going to you're going to get like an eight or nine minute interview with Harvard talking about the locksmith. If you haven't listened to our review, me, Bruce, and Eric's review of it, check out check out our cinematics podcast feed. We have a review of the locksmith. I suggested I I suggest this movie. I'm giving it four star four out of five stars. Centers on a locksmith named Miller, played by Ryan Philippi. Just got out of jail, ten year prison stint. He was he, he was basically framed for his actions and by a crooked cop. And now that it's ten years later, he's trying to come. He's getting back to society, reintegrate him, himself into society. Ving Rhames plays his mentor and very close friend who helps him get a job or two. Kate Kate Bosworth is his ex wife who they have a daughter together and they're trying to pick up the pieces together. And she's. The ex-wife is a, a police detective, so it, there's a lot of intricacies here because she, his wife is a cop, but there, she works along with the cop who actually framed him for, or who actually got him into jail, okay, due, due to this double cross. Now, so that is the premise of The Locksmith, and I actually talked to Nicholas Harvard about the film. The reason why it's only about eight minutes, eight minutes or so, like eight and a half minutes, is because he spent four hours, I mean, not four hours, four minutes of the interview doing spoiler discussions about the end of The Locksmith. And that stuff you can actually find on our Cinematics Patreon feed. Okay, so it's some really good stuff because he talks about the different iterations of the script and why one of the characters, and a fateful or interesting decision about one of the main characters of The Locksmith, okay? So that stuff is walled off for our Patreon supporters if you if you uh, are a fan of the locksmith or want to see it, definitely check out our Patreon feed because that has all the spoiler stuff there with Harvard's discussion of it and just a very quick comment as well from Ryan Philippi. He doesn't answer specifically the spo- I asked him I asked Ryan the spoiler question, but he actually answered it with a very general question, general comment. Okay, so that was fine, but a lot of that meat of that spoiler discussion is with Nicholas Harvard. I really enjoyed the film noirish touches of the locksmith. What's interesting is Eric Combs 
couple of days ago, he mentioned how he watched the movie twice and I decided to watch it again. So I watched it twice. I was thinking, did I overpraise the movie? And I saw it a, a second time. I liked it just as much, if not more. Only barrier to entry is it's a very subdued film. Ryan Phillippe, it's not a colorful performance. It's intendedly very, I mean this in the best way, drab and somber because there's, <laughs> there's nothing to, this character has, doesn't really have thing, much to uh, live for or smile about other than his daughter whom he's trying to actually just make amends or get to know because he's, he hasn't seen his daughter in 10 years. So interesting movie, character drama, family drama, and also it, there are some action sequences, but mainly it is a family drama with some crime thriller elements. So the locksmith, as of this recording available in theaters, as well as on demand. Okay. So first you're going to get the Nicholas Harvard interview. Also, after that, I'll be doing a very quick mini review of Shock Corridor on Blu-ray and why you should, if you don't buy it on Blu-ray, you should check it out on the Criterion, Criterion channel. It's worth watching. Also, I will round out the episode with my latest Dollar Tree haul. I got so many discs recently that I decided to only for this episode rattle off a bunch of the Dollar Tree hauls that I have, the Dollar Tree purchases I have from via Blu-ray. So you're going to just very quickly listen to some of the Blu-rays I got. When I say Dollar Tree haul, before it used to be really awesome because it would be a dollar a disc, whether it's Blu-ray or DVD. This time out now, due to inflation, cost of living, I, I guess, they're now a dollar twenty-five each. So keep that in mind. I don't mind. A dollar twenty-five is great. So a dollar twenty-five for some of these movies might be worth it. Also, on the show notes, you're going you're going to get from moving forward my weekly DVD and Blu-ray giveaways. So depending on when you download or listen to this episode, just know even if you're late, if you if you're listening to this, hopefully uh, you know four or five weeks after this recorded then you definitely missed out on that weekly giveaway. But every my goal is moving forward, every Find Your Film episode will have a show link, a link where you can look at my weekly Blu-ray and DVD giveaways on my website, Deepest Dream. And hopefully if you time it right, like maybe I upload this on a certain date and you are one of the people who are listening, go immediately to the show notes and you will see what Blu-ray or DVD I'm giving away. It's very easy to enter, okay? So that's keeping that weekly physical media schedule alive, okay? So another thing, I'm very disorganized with the way I disorganize things. I'm not very organized. So moving forward, I actually want to make Find Your Film a more streamlined experience. I think an anchor of this podcast will be my interviews with filmmakers and hopefully I can engage them as well on Blu-rays and DVDs and down the road digital as well because I look I'm not going to scoff on technology the importance of having stuff on the cloud okay but so we're we're, hopefully we're going to get more coverage of that as well but anyways here's my interview oh before I go Eric Holmes has been working on podcast merchandise from for our Find Your Film and Cinematics Universe. I'll leave a link where you can get cinematics, hoodies, or Find Your Film shirts and mugs, shower curtains, all that stuff galore if you want to support me, Anderson, Bruce, and Eric in our podcast endeavors, okay? And it, lastly, but most importantly, if you don't know who Samuel Fuller is, he's and, and you like, if you have any kind of passion or appreciation for black and white films, you're going to want to listen to my mini review of Shock Corridor, okay, after the Harvard interview. All right, I'm going to I'm going to be quiet now. Thanks again for supporting me, Bruce and Eric on Find Your Film and hit us up.
and give us some movie recommendations. We're all open for it. All right, guys. Bye. I'm going to start off with a very superficial question first, but it's a compliment. How do you get, how did you do that poster? That poster is amazing. It, the color pops, it just stands out. What was the idea behind it? It's amazing. So, um, I wish I could take credit. Um, it, uh, it's the fine people at Screen Media, our distributor. Um, they, they put together a big poster list. And that one, um, that one uh, definitely jumped out at me. It was the most kind of simply graphic. We're, we're, you're talking about the red, the red and white one. I yes. Think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the most uh, just really cool graphically and, uh, and uh, just simple and kind of throwback, like a, a little, a little seventies to it. And kind of made it, it evoked kind of like the getaway to me. Uh, uh, so I was a big fan of it from the, from the get go. And I really pushed, um, uh, to have that one be the the theatrical poster, and they went with it, and I'm I'm thrilled with it. Yeah, yeah I really love uh, this. These are the type of movies I really love. Ryan, during the interview, he mentioned Michael Mann's Thief as an an inspiration. But can you speak to the fact that I, without giving too much away, the locksmith is not your average revenge crime thriller? Because when someone is usually gets out of prison on parole, you're as a viewer, you're expecting all the the beats the revenge beats, which is sort of like adrenaline, adrenaline cinematic shots for the viewer, but you went a different way. Was that a reason why you wanted to actually direct this film? Because it goes a different way. Yeah, indeed. And, um, and that was part of the whole development process of, of getting it to something that was more about, um, about his past and his family and the choices that he has to make versus, yeah, like, like you said, the, the more classic, uh avenging his his uh dead friend here it's the opposite it's him getting roped into doing that so um yeah that was that was very much um something we we wanted to explore and you know especially with a guy like ryan who um you know guy in his 40s who has uh, i mean ryan himself has kids and like we we really talked about like what that would be and 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 how that that path of trying to reconnect with your family trying to 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 create a relationship with people that you haven't seen in such a long time would be challenging and, and uh, how the the conflict would really be from that other element of people trying to bring him back in. During the motel sequence, I caught a, I think a clip of touch of evil, I'm guessing. And the other one was either to have and have not, or maybe the big sleep. I could be wrong. Were these films influential for you as far as being maybe either growing up, you want to do a little throwback or can you just talk about that, that inclusion into your film? Because your film has those neo-noir or straight up film noir touches to it. Yeah, it, um, it was a good eye. It, it was indeed the big sleep. Um, those are two, uh, two films among many, many films that I watched as, uh, as a teenager and into my twenties, uh, where I was studying film history, um, in Paris, uh, of, of all places where, um, classic Hollywood films are revered, like that you can see them in movie theaters every day of the week. They'll, they'll do like a, a, uh, a Howard Hawks repre- uh, uh, retrospective, or they'll do a, you know, like a, a an Orson Welles retrospective. So I, I, I got to see film prints of those movies, um, in all their glory. Um, and so when when I started looking for a script to direct, um, the noir genre was calling 
because it's always been one of my favorites, something I'm really passionate about. And um, so that's what we endeavored to make with the locksmith was a, you know, kind of modernized neo-Western, neo-noir. And when I, you know, when I was given the opportunity to fill some TV screens with some content, I didn't want to make it, you know, some, it was, yeah, some crappy, you know, uh, rights-free old TV show or whatever. It was like, I don't know, let's put the, let's put the classics in there. Even if it's a little bit heightened, a little bit, you know, unrealistic, I, I liked the little nod and I think it, it fits in pretty well. I'm just going to ask a really out there highfalutin question. You're talking about watching cinema in, in Paris and, you know, in France and just getting your cinematic education there. Did you feel, or just during your life, do you ever feel an affinity towards regarding the locksmith regarding filmmakers who maybe you mentioned Hawks working big within the studio system, but there are so many interesting filmmakers who work pretty much outside the studio system, whether it's poverty row filmmakers or noir directors who had a specific budget and a bunch of days. And maybe only even years later, there's so many people who really appreciate those films. Do you feel an affinity to those type of artists from yesteryear? Because you had a, a specific budget and you're actually trying to make some art out of a very constrained, maybe creative space. And maybe that's where some of the best stuff happens. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a, you, I mean, it can be argued that Howard Hawks and, and, um, and those guys, you know, they, they were working within the studio system and they made beautiful movies that, that were, they weren't high budget, but they had resources, you know, they had a backlot, they had stages and, and, and a massive property department and a great costumes department. They could just kind of like pull from those and like make, make a great movie right there on the lot in, you know, in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, I I have a super soft spot for um, Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, French filmmaker, total noir director, a little bit older than the new wave guys, but um, but very much you know very very much considered part of the the new wave, like old guard new wave, where he was one of the first French filmmakers making kind of big stories to take a camera out into the streets and like and actually shoot on location in Paris versus on, on the French back lots, you know, so um, lots of love for, for Mr. Melville. I thank him in the, in the credits. Um, And um, I mean, lots of, lots of affinity for like a, a a Sam Fuller. I love him. Yeah. Who worked, like you said, outside of the studio system, but with the same kind of energy and, and, uh, and, and attention to, beauty and poetry that a lot of the a lot of the noir guys had so it's yeah there's there's definitely some some a lot of admiration there well nicholas i gotta I got go thank you so much for your time but before you leave let's just pretend you're a professor in paris teaching cinema you have a, a movie to pick from samuel fuller and a movie from melville just personal favorites what two films are you screening for your students and why uh wow okay um i mean shock corridor is the ultimate uh sam fuller movie that's I mean, you just like you have to see it uh, everybody has to see shock corridor just how to make a movie in the most gritty you know slap a camera onto a car let's go way right um and melville's a lot harder um i'm really really partial to bob le flambeur bob, bob all right le, yes yeah that's like you know it's a it's a really cool like you know all in paris all in bars old school noir um 
and it's it's so different from the the classics right like the the the, uh, the red circle uh and army and, of shadows samurai uh, yeah that, yeah army, that was, yeah exactly yeah um Bob de Flambeau has a, a like a really special place in my heart okay thank you again oh very quickly blu-ray or dvd release physical media will it be physical media or will it just basically digital and on demand just it's theaters and uh theaters and vod on friday uh, and then a DVD and Blu-ray, I think it's March 14th. Okay, in, great. Yeah, so like Redbox and uh, Walmart's. Walmart. Great. Nicholas, thank you. Yeah. thanks again, man. Thanks, Craig. Take okay. care. Take care. Okay, so that was Nicholas Harvard. As he, if you've listened to it, I asked him or did not listen to it. I'm just going to recap. I, my final question was asking him, what Samuel Fuller movie would he pick for his students if he was teaching film class over in Paris? And his choice was shock corridor i have here right now in my hands the criterion collection blu-ray of shock corridor again i recently purchased this on one of the barnes and nobles sales and i thought it was a great a steal and a deal i look at here one reason why you should get it as if you're a fan of physical media is the artwork i'm opening it right now the artwork on the cover is by daniel close wait I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing his name. The artwork is from by Daniel Klaus. Daniel Klaus. He is the screenwriter and comic book artist behind such films as Ghost World, Art School Confidential, and most recently, I think back in 2017, in my opinion, the underrated Woody Harrelson film, Wilson. Okay? So, Daniel Klaus, you might know him, especially if you're a fan of Art School Confidential, or I guess Ghost World would be considered among film fans as his most popular work. He was a screenwriter behind that movie, and it's based, I believe, on his graphic novel as well. So if you have any idea of what Close's work is like, it's beautiful, and it stands out, and it's awesome, and he provides a podcast, not the podcast, the Blu-ray cover for Shock Corridor, as well as the disc. So you see the artwork on the disc as well. You see a pink lady on the disc, you see a pink lady with some kind of, I, I don't know what it, what are those feathery things? Uh, the, well, the girl in it is played by Constance Towers, and she plays a striptease, the striptease girlfriend of the main character of Shock Corridor. So you see a pink illustration of that character, and then you see a half profile of the main character of Shock Corridor, who we'll get into in about a second. But the Shock Corridor disc itself is artwork from Daniel Klaus as well. So that's really cool to just check out on a visual level. It's worth as far as collecting. Okay. Now, as far as Shock Corridor, why should you see this movie as far as, it, why is it worth watching? In my opinion, I saw I saw Shock Corridor like maybe two or three times. And this is, for some reason, the first couple of times I saw Shock Corridor, I missed out on just a very, very big plot. And maybe it's because when the ages I saw Shock Corridor, I maybe was really just impressed by the actual either visuals or the actual, well, the actual plot line without all of the nuances behind it. I have no idea. And in defense of my, my senility or my forgetfulness, I was listening to a podcast where they said one of the subplots was also forgettable. So maybe that's why as well. But let me, okay, let me start with my discussion of what Shock Corridor is about. First of all, 1963, it's a black and white film. Okay. And it centers on this guy named Johnny Barrett. Johnny Barrett is played by an actor named Peter Breck. Johnny Barrett is this very ambitious reporter, journalist, and he wants to win the Pulitzer Prize. He will do anything 
to actually get that prize. One of the things, one of the biggest stories, at least from his POV, is the murder of a of an inmate named Sloan at a mental institution or asylum or what, what's the right word? Let's just say institution. So Johnny Baird decides to actually investigate the killing of the, the mysterious killing of Sloan because they don't know who murdered this patient. And Johnny's mission is to go into the asylum or institution, not as a investigative journalist, but as actually one of the, one of the people, one, one of the mentally ill patients. So Johnny Barrett has been practicing for a year on his mental illness and he's been prepped by different people by actually a doctor named well, I'm looking for the doctor right now. The doc, by this Asian doctor named Dr. Fong, played by actor Philip Ahn. Philip Ahn is a very, I guess, I am not very good when it comes to Asian American history as far as actors go in Hollywood, but I'm looking at his IMDb and he had a long career. But credit goes to Samuel Fuller for casting Asian American actors in his movies. There's one movie of his called The Crimson Kimono, which has an Asian actor as the romantic and lead of the film. I still haven't seen that. So anyways, but let, let's get back to Jacques Corridor. Anyways, this this um, journalist, his goal is to find out who the killer is. So he ultimately decides to, he ha- he's prepped to actually research this institution. He, he gets in as one of the patients, much to the distress of his girlfriend, Kathy. Kathy is played by Constant Tow- Constance Towers. And Kathy, to make ends meet, she is a striptease artist okay so there are a couple of moments in the movie where you see kathy in not full striptease but there are a couple of musical numbers that she does and she's dancing and the camera really loves her i'll be talking about the camera in a second but constance towers is very good in this movie as well and she would later go on to the following year she would be the lead in samuel fuller's critically acclaimed film the naked kiss but anyways back to shock corridor while Johnny is in the institution, he ends up, well, the movie's broken down into three different parts. He ends up interviewing three different witnesses to the murder. And all of these, all of these witnesses are, are mentally unstable. They're mentally ill. Each of them have different takes on what happened. They give him different clues to who the actual killer was. One of the, one of these patients is Trent, play, played by actor Harry Rhodes. And Trent is a black man who believes he actually founded the, the KKK. So there's a whole segment with Trent being racist to another black, black, uh, patient in the asylum. And it leads to a race riot situation in the, in the clinic or in the area. And there's also another guy who is a nuclear, a former nuclear physicist named Bowden, played by actor Gene Evans. That's another witness. And then find, and then there's another witness here. I'm trying to remember what the name, what the witness did. Um, hold on one second. Sorry. The other witness is played by actor James Best. And you might know him. I think he played, who did he play in Dukes of Hazard? That's his most notable role from the Dukes of Hazard, but he's very good in this movie. He didn't play Enos. He played Sheriff Roscoe Coltrane in 141 episodes of the Dukes of Hazard. So you know him basically a lot of, I'm sure a lot of you know James Best as a comedic actor. Here it's a straight up drama. He plays Stewart, a patient who believes he is a civil war general. When in fact, he's actually a, he is a military vet, but he served this time in the Korean War. So there's a lot of different layers to this character, Stuart, played by James Best. So the movie is broken down to three different sections where Johnny Barrett, the journalist, 
interviews these witnesses in his own way as a patient, and he tries to find out who is the killer of this man named Sloan. That's so a, a part of Shock Corridor is a murder mystery thing, and I did not, for some reason, I did not remember this element the first couple of times I've, I saw this. I think the first time I saw Shock Corridor was in my 20s and then in my mid 30s. And I think probably because I was at a younger age, I was so, I'm not intimidated by seduced. I was seduced by the charisma of Samuel Fuller's just out there. You know, the guy, I was thinking whenever I think of Sam Fuller, I think about the, the sort of, uh, he's a little bit short like me. Like me, he didn't look like a five ten, five eleven guy. Maybe five seven, five eight guy chomping on a cigar. His he, he doesn't really have a full head of hair, but he's very outspoken and brash and passionate. And this the the plot line to Shot Quarter about a journalist who embeds himself in a mental institution and who may actually become one of the patients just seemed very just pulpy and sexy to me. That. Maybe the first two times I saw it, I was just more blown away by the actual sensationalistic nature of the of the movie that I did not remember all of the different layerings to the movie. So yeah, but now I'm early 50s. I understand the movie better, so a little bit better. Now, I'm just going to give this Shot Corridor a mini review. And if you're not a fan of black and white, probably in old movies from yesteryear, probably don't see it, right? But there is a reason why I think a couple of reasons why I think on a base level you should give Shot Corridor a glance or a look see or maybe a shot. First of all, it's great acting from the lead actor Peter Breck, and just looking at interviews, supposedly this is probably his most critically acclaimed or maybe just most layered role. Even though he had a very distinguished career, he's very good as a journalist who will do anything it takes to get the story down. Constance Towers is great as his stripper, striptease girlfriend. And then there's so many different, all of these witnesses, they have their chances to shine as well. But you can say that for about so many different films that you see, right? Great acting, great performances, etc. Yeah, this movie has it. This movie is also shot on a very interesting uh, timeline. Only shot, it was only shot for 10 days, 10 friggin' days. It took Samuel Fuller to actually produce, uh, shoot this movie. Okay, so there is a very much of an indie flair. Also, what's really cool is Fuller had, even though the producer of Shot Corridor, I think he signed with this producer for two films, for this movie, for Shot Corridor, and the following year for The Naked Kiss. I'm trying to remember the name of the producer, but I was reading on Samuel Fuller's autobiography that this producer basically was not a great up-and-up producer, meaning he didn't get a lot of money. He didn't see a ton of residuals from either film, which is heartbreaking because both of these films are considered among Fuller's best work. That said, in his auto auto bio, he said, well, even though, I'm paraphrasing, even though this producer was pretty much crooked, there was a silver lining to it. He was able, especially with Shot Corridor, he was able to get final cut of the movie. So that's very rare, no matter what station you're in, in life as a filmmaker to actually get final cut and to see your vision as a filmmaker out there on the silver screen for all to see all that said on a, again, on a base level, not on a base level. The reason why I think you should give shot quarter a shot, because I, like I said, all the great performances, the indie flavor, you've heard that a million, say this a million times. 
about different movies that I've reviewed with the guys over the years, but I feel this is worth looking at on a visual level because the movie, the movie's um, cinematographer is Stanley Cortez. And Cortez, his most popular films are The Magnificent Ambersons and The Night of the Hunter. Both of these films that I, met, I mentioned are considered two of cinema's most beautiful looking films. The Magnificent Ambersons was directed by Orson Welles, even though the movie itself is truncated in its length. It's just a, I, I saw it about, I think with Anderson about a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, we did it on, we, we, I think we reviewed it on cinematics on the Patreon feed. So that's a great looking movie. And The Night of the Hunters starring Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters is just, again, if the use of black and white with its, I, I'm, I think the proper term is German expressionism. The, the expressionistic flair of Cortez shines through in The Night of the Hunter. Both of these films, Magnificent Ambersons and The Night of the Hunter, you can actually just pause each frame, it seems, and just blow it up and put it on your wall. They're just works of art. The same can be said with Shakordor, and it's just really beautiful to look at. On Fuller's autobiography, he talked about how his he talked to Stanley Cortez about no matter what, where they were shooting, he only wanted one source of light into the frame. And that's why a lot of this movie, even though it has an indie flair to it, looks absolutely beautiful. Especially and if you're again, if you are a black and white fan. Shock corridor, even if you don't think the story works for you, it's just a sight. It's a vi- a visual marvel to see. Okay. So I really loved Shock Corridor and uh, upon the third time watching it, I, there's okay. As far as features on the Blu ray, there is a 28 minute interview with Constance, Constance Towers. And she, during the interview, she talks about working with Fuller, her memories of well, going on a fishing trip. I forgot where was it Baja or something where he caught a great white shark. So that was some oh, some really good memories. And she also talks about her work as an actress and collaboration with director John Ford and Sammy Fuller. So it's a really cool twenty eight minute interview with Constance Towers. I interview a lot of people, and I think she's eighty nine or ninety now. I'm gonna see if I can write her and see if I can actually interview her. Probably not. I don't know if she'd ever take my request, but this would be a great sort of um, yesteryear cinema interview with Constance Towers. So that's one of the special features. The other one is this documentary called The Typewriter, The Rifle, and The Movie Camera. It's It's a 1996 documentary directed by Tim Robbins, I believe. Yeah, Tim Robbins. What's interesting about this movie is this documentary, which runs at 55 minutes. I played a little bit of it on the Blu-ray and it's the documentary's full frame. I guess that's the way it was. I first saw this on a VHS tape that was given to critics and journalists back in 96. And it was thanks to this documentary. Okay, what was it called again? The typewriter, the rifle, and the movie camera? Thanks to this documentary back in 96, That's that was the year when I started getting into Samuel Fuller. Okay, so it's been 26. This quote-unquote love affair, my love affair with Sam Fuller has been about 26 years on. And one of my big current regrets is I still haven't seen all of his movies as of yet. But this documentary, I really do need to rewatch it, even though it's directed by Tim Robbins. There's some other, you know, I'm sure, insightful anecdotes from Jim Jarmusch, who is a life huge director. Jim Jarmusch is a huge Samuel Fuller fan. I believe Quentin Tarantino's in this as well. I think if I recall, they have a 
anecdote regarding their love for the steel helmet. I have to, I haven't seen the doc since 96. I should have probably seen this before I did a mini review of Shock Corridor on Blu-ray. Yeah, I think that's, oh, also what's great is it also comes with a booklet, which has a, just a review of Shock Corridor by some film scholar, which I'm trying to look right now. The illustrations are really great. So it's really worth a purchase. And it also has an excerpt talking about Shock Corridor from Samuel Fuller. And it's taken from his book, from Samuel Fuller's book, which is my most worthy movie book purchase along with the Sidney Lumet, um, Sidney Lumet making movies book I have. This is, these two books are my favorite movie books. Samuel Fuller, A Third Face, My Tale of Writing, Fighting, and Filmmaking. And it's an introduction by Martin Scorsese. Well, a piece of that book, like an anecdote of it, maybe several pages, is actually in the booklet here as he talks about the making of Shock Corridor. Okay, so that is it. That is my take on Shock Corridor. There, there, down this feed, this Find Your Film feed, I apologize for all my stammering and whatnot. It's just I'm such a fan of Fuller. And there will be more coverage of his Blu-rays and DVDs down the road. My suggestion to you, though, is if you love the artwork of Daniel Close, it's worth just buying it for that as far as a collector. And you never know as far... Oh, and yeah, the the DP work of Stanley Cortez. It's just... You may not be as crazy about this movie as I am, but it's just worth watching on a visual level. Okay, that is, so that is Shot Corridor. Hey guys, so here's my Dollar Tree haul for this week. Also, if you, again, if you want to be part of the Blu-ray DVD contest giveaway, just check on the show notes. I will have links every single episode that of Find Your Film that drops, and hopefully you will be in sync with some of these giveaways. Okay, so let me start off without further ado on the Blu-rays that I've received. First off, I'll see you in my dreams, starring Blythe Denner and Martin Starr, June Squibb, Rhea Perlman, Mary Kay Place, love Mary Kay Place, by the way, Malin Ackerman, and Sam Elliott comes with blu-ray dvd and digital i'll see you in my dreams i believe this was directed by brett morgan and this bonus feature is a special feature at a look inside i'll see you in my dreams and it, i don't i don't know if the digital still works but hey for dollar 25 not so bad i have the blu-ray for it i have actually have two copies of it here i purchased it right now not right now but i when i actually went to the dollar tree i purchased two copies of it there's something called the Maltese Holiday. It's a Christmas movie starring Ashley Brinkman and Cody Calafiore. Calafiore, Blu-ray, DVD, and combo pack. The reason why is Cody Calafiore. He is a Big Brother winner. I'm a huge fan of that CBS show, Big Brother. I just decided to get it again. Style twenty-five. Speaking of which, Dwayne Johnson Blu-ray for Rampage. Special features. I've never seen this movie, by the way. Gag reel and a bunch of featurettes. There's some deleted scenes. Okay. I had this before, Jeff Who Lives at Home. I got that. There is another copy of Florence Foster Jenkins. I have like about 15 or 16 of these, it seems. A Blu-ray and digital HD copy of Trumbo, starring Brian Cranston as Dalton Trumbo, co-starring Diane Lane and Helen Mirren. Chuck, I believe this is the real story of Rocky Balboa, or the untold story of the inspiration for Rocky Balboa, that is, my bad, starring Liev Schreiber and Elizabeth Moss. Got this on Blu-ray as well. Let's see, does it have any special features? Special features is a featurette called All About Chuck. There is a BBC Earth Blu-ray I have called Hidden Kingdoms, hosted, narrated, narrated my bad, by Stephen Fry. The Martin Scorsese film Hugo, I saw this in the theaters and love this movie. Blu-ray 
feature film. Special features include just several featurettes. Are there any deleted scenes? There are no deleted scenes, but just a whole bunch of featurettes on this movie. Commentary from Scorsese would be nice, but anyways, love that movie. There's a film called Teen Spirit. I did the actual interviews for this. Stars Elle Fanning in the lead from the producer of La La Land. This has Blu-ray and digital. What's interesting about this is that, let me see what this, okay. There's feature commentary with director Max Minghella, producer Fred Berger, and executive producer Jamie Bell. I liked this movie, okay? And I'm actually keeping Teen Spirit. You know why? Because I did the press junket and it brings back some memories. I like this movie. And director Max Minghella, I'm sure a lot of you know him either as the son of late filmmaker Anthony Minghella or for his work in The Hands Made Tale or something. I I don't watch TV, TV shows that much. But Max Minghella was also the lead in a movie years back called Art School Confidential, a movie based on, I believe, the graphic novel or in the screenplay, was written by Daniel Klaus, the artist behind the Blu-ray cover of Shock Corridor. So that's interesting. Max Minghella, Daniel Klaus connection for Find Your Film. There's a movie called Beirut with John Hamm and Rosamund Pike, or Rosamund, Rosamund Pike, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. This is another copy. Whenever I see this at Dollar Tree, I'm just going to get it because look, it has several featurettes and I believe, well, Actually, no, just two featurettes, but it looks like a good movie. Anything with Rosamund Pike, I'm going to purchase. Okay. Mads Mikkelsen, Arctic. I enjoyed this movie. Digital movie included. A lot of these digital codes, I, most of them don't work, but the ones that do, it's just like Christmas and I don't know where, but it just feels like Christmas when you get the, both the digital and the physical media um, release. All right. Again, another copy of Chuck, another copy of Florence Foster Jenkins. There's a movie that I got. Last time, finally, is The D-Train with Jack Black and James Marsden, Blu-ray and digital HD. We'd love to hear what kind of shopping you guys do on the physical media. If you guys are physical media enthusiasts, do you have a Dollar Tree in your neck of the woods? Is there a facsimile of that? Is there a DVD store that you go to? Hit me up on editor at deepestdream.com. I want to hear some of your physical media adventures as well, as well as your collection. So this is some of these I'm going to actually, I'm going to keep Teen Spirit, probably Hugo, and the rest I'm going to give away. Well, I'll see. I'll keep I'll see you in my dreams as well. But again, some of these will be up for the weekly Blu-ray giveaways that I'm doing, Blu-ray and DVD giveaways that I'm doing for the Find Your Film podcast. Check the show notes for information. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening to this episode and your support of this podcast as well as cinematics. Take care, guys, and have a great week. Bye.